Well, this evening, we're going to be looking at a fascinating passage from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Now, I'm going to elect not to read the whole passage tonight since we're not all here together, and, um, and I'll kind of work my way through the passages with the points tonight. But this is one of those fascinating stories that bring up a lot of questions, and I'm not going to be able to answer all of those questions tonight, but if you'll text me or email me or send, if you're watching on Church Online, you can leave a, a message there, but uh, we'll try to get to all your questions if you have some uh, later this week as well. Now, you've got to remember, last week we looked at how Jesus crossed the stormy sea with the disciples. They woke him up because there was a storm on the seas that threatened to sink them, and they were just absolutely in awe and shock. And we closed with the thought that, who is this man? After Jesus spoke to the storm and calmed the storm, and the disciples were really terrified. I mean, they'd seen his miracles, but he not only now had put, uh, shown his power on land, but now he's shown his power on sea. We're coming to another story that's just as dramatic because they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee, and they come to an area that's very important for us to look at tonight. So first thing I want to look at is the location of this story. If you look at the location, this is, it's, it's hugely important that we understand where Jesus is going. He intentionally has set out from Capernaum, where he's ministering to the, uh, uh, the Jewish people, and he's going to cross the sea down to Capernaum. Uh, excuse me, to Gadara. The Bible says they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. Now, if you'll look at the map that uh, I've included, and it should be online tonight for you to see that, if you'll look at the map, you'll see Capernaum at the north end of that lake, and you'll see Gadara. If it was kind of a draw line, they're going in a southeasterly direction across the lake to this area. And this is an area that we need to just pay just a little bit of attention to. Because even though this was the land of the Gentiles, this was the land where, if you'll look at Joshua 13, 8, half the tribe of Manasseh, the tribes of Reuben and Gad, had already received their grants of land on the east side of the Jordan. They did not want to go into the promised land. They helped fight the battles. They helped conquer the battles. They didn't want to go into the promised land, but they wanted to remain on the other side because of the pasture lands. And when I look at the location and this story that we're going to be looking at about a demonized man that God sets free, I can't help but think about how that Lot chose the well-watered plains of, Lot, of Sodom and moved his family there, and he ended up losing his family. Even though his daughters were delivered with him, they learned things in Sodom that they would have never learned in Sunday school. And things had been learned here, and we come upon this story where the Jewish people had been left, uh, these, these two and a half tribes had been left, and evidently their legacy had been forgotten, their influence had been diminished. Evidently, whatever salt and light that they were to be, remember Jesus talked about we were supposed to be salt and light, and if we had lost our saltiness, then what good were we? Uh, they had lost that influence there because Jesus is going to visit this area and when he gets out of the boat in Gadara, if you'll look at the visitation where Jesus arrives in Gadara, the Bible says when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, we need to just kind of stop for just a moment. Are people still demonized today? Do people still battle with demons, uh, demonic spirits? And the answer to that is yes. 
Uh, we don't see a lot of it, uh, I think, primarily because of the spread of the Judeo-Christian faith has taught us that we don't have to be afraid of the devil, has taught us that God's power is great, and we'll look at that, and God has overcome the enemy. But in countries where people have gotten further and further away from the gospel or they've, they've rejected the gospel or refused the gospel, I've seen more activity there in my travels of people who are, are demonized. And I've shared with our church this before. When I worked in mental health, the psychiatrist that I worked for told me, he says, I definitely believe in this, this idea of demonization that there are people that are controlled by evil spirits. And so this man, possessed by an evil spirit, comes out from the tombs to meet Jesus. He's running out to meet him. Something here stands out to me, and that is this. The demoniac matters to Jesus. A lot of times people like this we want to avoid. A lot of times people like this we want to stay away from because we're frightened of them or we don't understand them and, and we reject them. But to Jesus, this man really mattered. And because of the way he would have come out screaming and howling, as you'll see if you read through the 20 verses there in Mark chapter 5, uh, the disciples, <clears throat> already startled by what had happened on the, on the sea, the disciples probably either stayed in the boat or else they started picking up stones or they started picking up sticks to try and defend themselves and to defend Jesus. But Jesus wasn't afraid of the man. Jesus wanted to set the man free. And he did just that very thing. Look at uh, verse 15. We're going to skip way down in the, to the bottom of the story. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man that had been, been possessed by the legion of demons, and he was sitting there fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Now, I want you to notice a few things here. Possessed by a legion, a Roman legion consisted of 2,000 men and 120 horsemen. Some of those figures and some uh, writings, they may differ just a little bit, but it's still a lot of, of, of soldiers and it's still a supplement of horsemen. So you're looking at a man that when Jesus forced him to identify, when Jesus forced the demonic spirits to identify themselves, you're looking at a man who's possessed by many evil spirits. And Jesus not only frees him, but he's in the position of a disciple. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's sitting there. His clothing, he was either naked. If you read Matthew, then you, you see that, he, he, that, that there were two of them there, and evidently this man was the spokesman, that he's, he's now fully clothed, and he's perfectly sane. He's gone from this madman or this insanity. Now he's perfectly sane. And what Jesus and the disciples had been doing, after Jesus set him free, they began to care for his wounds because he'd been cutting himself, beating himself. Uh, he had been rejected and cast out. They've helped him get dressed. I don't know, somebody must have had a, an extra pair of clothing with them, and they dressed the man. And now Jesus is teaching them. And if you watch The Chosen, where Jesus goes to the Decapolis to teach, You'll notice how that when Jesus begins to talk to his disciples and everybody's kind of standing up trying to show themselves big the way an animal or a bird will do when he's trying to thwart off a, a threat, Jesus just simply says to his disciples, sit down, and he begins to teach them. This man is in the position of a disciple. But the violence in his life had been the work of Satan. And where he was at and why he was there, he was just as storm-tossed as the sea that Jesus had just 
calm the seas on. This man had just as many issues and just as many problems, and he lived in a place of the unclean. Jewish people weren't supposed to be in a cemetery, and yet Jesus comes into the cemetery, and the cemetery doesn't make Jesus unclean. Uh, the man is probably surviving off of food offerings that have been left for him. Uh, you know, again, I've been in, in countries where I've preached at, and people will go and leave food offerings for the dead, and uh, thinking that somehow or another the spirits are going to eat them. I've actually watched the priests of some of these religions come and grab the food and run off with it because they're going to eat the food, and it's not the dead person, as you know, not doing it, but he's surviving probably off the food offerings that are left for him. But there's something else I want you to see. The Bible says that he was so strong, he would snap chains, he would break off the bonds that were put upon him, the Bible says that he could not be subdued. That word is demasio. It's a Greek word that we used for tame, like taming a wild animal. And this man lived like a wild animal, screaming and yelling in the tombs, and the people treated him like a wild animal. And you know, I've found in my ministry, in my life, if you treat people with respect, they'll respond with respect. If you treat people with kindness, they'll, they'll respond with kindness. But if you treat people poorly, they're going to respond poorly. And here was a man that had been treated like an animal, and it just furthered the violence that the enemy had worked in his life. But when Jesus came on the shore, and there's some scholars who differ here, but the more I've read the Scripture... And when that man runs out, <clears throat> the demonic spirits in him recognize that this is Jesus. He's crying out to the Lord, even though the spirits are those demonic spirits are trying to resist and keep him from being set free. It's almost like Psalms 120 and verse 1. Look at this with me. I took my troubles to the Lord, and I cried out to him, and he answered my prayer. A friend, I want you to know it doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter what trial you're going through tonight. It doesn't matter what issue that you're facing. Take your troubles to the Lord. God loves you. God cares for you. And God will set you free. The third thing I want you to see before we really break out the power encounter is that the crowds rejected the visitation of Jesus. And that's the part of this story that just really blows me away. I pray every week, I pray tonight that the Spirit of the Lord will be with us as we study the Word of God together. I pray every week, God, manifest your presence in our congregation as we come together to worship the Lord. I, I not only want people to understand here, but I want them to feel here the power and the grace and the love of God. But when Jesus came and they see this man set free and they're delivered, he's, he's in his right mind they are so frightened of what Jesus has done, and they're so angry at the loss of their swine herd, of their pigs, that they ask Jesus to leave and not return. Uh, look at uh, Matthew, excuse me, Mark 5:11 with me tonight. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Those de demonic spirits, when they knew that Jesus was going to cast them out, they don't want to be disembodied. They don't want to be in an arid place or cast back in the abyss. And so they asked Jesus to just cast them into those pigs. Well, I'll explain that later. That's an interesting story in and of itself. But when he does, the pigs run like a herd to the lake. 
Now, I can remember, you know, the pigs back home and, and going out with my cousins and going out with my uncle to feed the pigs. Pigs aren't herd animals. They're called pig-headed for a reason. And yet, all of a sudden, when these demonic spirits, the same violence that they've done to this man, now they do to these pigs, and they rush down the hillside, and 2,000 pigs are drowned. Now, I went to the pork evaluation website this week to just kind of get an idea of what a pig would be worth today. And I was absolutely blown away. And because the number was so astronomically high, I, I can tell you my relatives never got any money like this uh, from raising hogs. But, you know, it, depending on how the pig was processed, whether for lunch meat or uh, sausages or spiraled hams or however the pig is, pro you could expect about 250 pounds out of fully grown hog processed, how it was processed, you're talking about thousands of dollars worth of each pig. So you're looking at at least a quarter of a million to a half a million. I know that's a big stretch of money that was lost to this community. Well, look at verse 16. Those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. Now notice, they told them that the demon-possessed man had been delivered. He mattered to Jesus. He had been delivered. He'd been set free. He was in his right mind. Jesus and the disciples were ministering to him. But they also told them about the economic loss that had been caused because of the herd of pigs. And so when the crowd gathered, they began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. You know how we rejoice when a neighbor is healed of cancer or cured of cancer? You know how we rejoice when a, a child is found that's been lost? You know how we rejoice when someone's business fortunes have turned around? This whole community cared more about their prophets. Really, they cared more about their pigs than they cared about this man. They cared more about pigs than they cared about people. And that's what happens when we get our priorities wrong. But the power of God cannot be bound. Satan, it didn't matter that it was a legion. Satan could not defeat the Lord. And so what you see is Jesus has healed people. Jesus has restored sight to the blind. Next week, we're going to look at how Jesus uh, takes a, a woman with an issue of blood, an incurable disease, and he manifests his power over that. But I want you to see he manifests his power over a legion. I, ever how many this was, and I personally lean towards that 2,000 number, that how many demon spirits that man was delivered from. Now, the question that comes up that people have asked me from time to time with this story is, why didn't Jesus just send them out to the abyss? Why didn't Jesus just conquer evil? Why did Jesus have to go to Calvary? I think you see that in this story, and I don't think I'm stretching this, and so I want you to read the, the verses carefully. God could have conquered evil and conquered the devil without Calvary. Men would have submitted to God out of fear, out of terror, out of just sheer horror of the power of God. And what God wants is our hearts. What God wants is our love. What God wants is our affection. What God wants is for people that love Him to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That's what God wants for us. And that's why 
Satan's power was not completely conquered and overcome until Jesus died for our sins at Calvary. And when he rose again from the dead, the power of the devil was completely defeated. And we know one day, according to Revelation chapter uh, 20, uh, 19 to 20, how the enemy is going to be cast into the lake of fire. Jesus said that the hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. I'm telling you, there's a great day of victory, even greater than what we're living in now that is coming. But what shocks me is that these people didn't want Jesus to return. Two things I want you to notice so far. Number one, Jesus answered or granted permission to the demons to what they wanted. Let us go into the pigs. Two, as far as we know, Jesus never returned to the Decapolis area. When they asked him to leave, Jesus didn't return. They missed their visitation. Now, here's what I also pray on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights as we gather and when we gather for our prayer meeting. I say, Lord, I'm asking you to be present with us, but don't let us miss the day of your visitation. In Luke 19, verse 44, Jesus is speaking to a group of people and he says to them, you did not recognize the time of your visitation. He was talking about his presence and being with them. So let's transition now to the confrontation. Because this is what you're all wanting to know about. And let's look, if you would, at the, these next verses. This man, the demoniac, this man lived in the burial caves, could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. And whenever he was put into shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists. He smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. And when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him. The man ran to meet him and bowed low before him. Do you see what I'm saying there? I think there was a part of the man. We're made in the image of God. The demonic spirits recognized who he was, but somehow or another, this man recognized Christ. And he bowed low before him, but those spirits took over within him. And with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? That's not the man talking now. That's the devil talking in him. Why are you fear interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, notice how the term of deity is used there. The son of the, even, even many of the Jewish people in any are not recognizing that this is who has come, the Son of the Most High God. Sometimes I think Christians don't recognize by the way we act or the way we pray or the way we live. Because of our small faith, we don't recognize that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus demanded what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. Friends, never forget, Billy Graham, when I was 19 years old, I heard him preach and he just drove this message home back in the 70s when I was listening to him preach this message. The main goal of the devil is always to destroy life, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I remember Dr. Graham saying, the devil will promise you liberty, he'll promise you freedom, he'll promise you all kinds of things, but all he ever, all he ever produces is slavery, death, and destruction. And so I want you to look at the condition of this man. The Bible doesn't tell us how he became demonized. 
He may have opened himself up to some practice of evil because there were all kinds of the Decapolis, there were all kinds of pagan religions that were there. There were all kinds of idolatry. There were all kinds of religions that were practiced. The Romans had uh, sacrificial practices themselves. And so you see four things here. This man lived in ceremonial uncleanliness. He lived in isolation. He had superhuman strength that, uh, that these demonic spirits gave him, but he was on a path of self-destruction. That, what those demons did to those pigs was what they wanted to do to that man's life. What Satan wanted to do to you or to me or to anyone else is to completely destroy us, the image of God within us. Now, this is an important point because even tonight I ran home real quickly to put on a fresh shirt before the church service tonight. And I, I was watching something on, on television and these words popped up on the screen. The, the volume was down low and it said, science will overcome, science will prevail. And I think that's been the great sin of mankind is that somehow or another, we think we don't need God. We're, we're smart, we're intelligent, we are created in the image of God, we're technologically advanced, we're scientifically advanced, and we think we can solve our problems without God. And so a lot of doctors who reject God, a lot of engineers who reject God, a lot of scientists who reject God, a lot of linemen, a lot of people working for an automobile company, wherever you may be, when you reject God and think, I can do life on my own, and you encounter evil, the thing you need to understand is only God can conquer evil. Only God can control the devil. And what Jesus did in Mark 5, 9 is a reminder of what God gave to Adam in Genesis chapter 2. Jesus demanded of the man, what is your name? And the demonic spirits in him replied that their name was Legion because there's many of us inside this man. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 2, God brings the animals to, to Adam to see what Adam would name the animals. So here comes a hippopotamus, here comes a horse, here comes a, a, a bird and comes to Adam and God wants to see what Adam is going to name them. Now, last week, excuse me, three weeks ago, we talked about how that <clears throat> the, the power of naming in the Scriptures was if you could identify someone and name them, then these evil spirits thought they could control you. And what Jesus did, because the demons were calling out His name, thinking they could control Him or at least manipulate Him because they knew His name, then when, when the evil spirits called out Jesus, Jesus just simply said, what is your name? And when they identified themselves, Jesus commanded them to come out. That power of naming goes all the way back. And that's the reason I say to young parents sometimes, name your children prayerfully. Name your children carefully. Name them for character traits that you want to see in them. You don't have to be a Puritan and name your daughter Providence, or you don't have to name her Charity. I mean, those are beautiful names. But I'm just saying, think through the names, because when we just make up cutesy names, we're not really giving to our children a biblical identity that we can talk to them about later. This is what your name means, and this is why we named you that. A few things I want you to see here. Not only the demons recognize Jesus, but the demons address Jesus as deity. 
But these demons knew their final doom, and they're afraid of it. That's the reason they're saying, don't cast us out. But more than anything, they fear being disembodied, and Jesus is always in control. Now, I can't remember the pastor's name. I heard talk about this one time uh, many years ago. <clears throat> one of these just old common sense preachers. I, I love listening to his messages even when I find one now. But he says the danger is when we read a passage like this, we go, oh, I'm not that bad. And we compare ourselves. He says if you're not a Christian, you're under the power and the influence of the evil one. He said, the fact that you're a good sinner still doesn't make you ready for heaven. And the fact that the enemy can seduce us with our pride, or he can seduce us with good works, or he can seduce us in a number of ways, I think we have to look at this and understand the influence and the power of evilness in this world. Have compassion for lost people like Jesus did. Have compassion for demoniacs like Jesus did. Have compassion for the poor or the hurting but never, ever, ever think that we're immune to evil ourselves. Paul wrote it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. And so often people have said to me at, at joint uh, ecumenical conferences or things that I've been a part of in past is, you know, I know God's going to take them to heaven because look at all the good works that they've done. I, I know they're going to be in heaven because of all the good works they've done. And yet they reject Jesus Christ. And friends, I want you to know no one is going to be in heaven except through the sacrifice that Jesus made and trusting him and accepting him as Lord. We can be deceived how many good works have you got to do to go to heaven? I prayed with a woman a few years ago. Matter of fact, it's been probably about 10 years ago now. And I was thinking about her today as I was writing this, the last uh, draft of this message. That when I went to see her, she had just given up on faith. She had given up on religion because she was a part of a religion that, that her good works was how she was going to get to heaven. And so I felt like she needed to meet my wife. And so I asked if Becky would go with me. And we had to sit down with this lady. And the two of us shared with her and prayed with her. And somehow or another, the Holy Spirit broke through that, that deception of the enemy. She had given up. And her life was becoming more and more traumatized by the power of the... She wasn't demonized, but she was certainly being influenced by evil because... She saw good works as the way to heaven. And when she finally saw and understood that Jesus Christ was the way, the truth, and the life, and what Jesus had done, even though she came from a religion that believed you had to do good works in order to get to heaven and to get close to God, when she saw that it was only Jesus, she wept. She gave her heart to Christ. Her entire countenance changed. Her family talked about the change in her life. She was in her 40s, and it was just maybe a couple of years later, Becky and I are we're on vacation, and we get the call that she's passed away, and when we return home, I do her funeral. And it was such a wonderful story to tell that here was a lady that had been deceived by the Satan coming as an angel light. She had done many good things, but she was giving up because she just didn't feel like she was good enough. 
But when she met Jesus, good works began to flow out of her naturally because the life of Jesus was being expressed for her. That's why I'm calling my last point tonight the transformation celebration. Because suddenly it's not about earning your way to heaven. It's knowing that Jesus has made the way for you to go to heaven. Now, remember I said the demons asked permission to go into the pigs. Jesus granted it. The community asked Jesus not to come back. Jesus granted that wish. This man, if you'll read the whole story, he begs Jesus to go with him and the disciples. He wants to stay with Jesus. But Jesus makes him the first missionary evangelist. Jesus, instead of letting him go home with him, he says, if you'll look with me at verse 19, he says to the man, no, go home to your family. Can you imagine what his family must have felt? Can you imagine what his wife and his children, to see him come home sane, to see him come home in his right mind, dressed, and with the story that he has to tell, he's no longer shrieking and howling, he's no longer cutting himself, he's, he's no longer trying to hurt people, but he comes home and he tells his family, and he says, tell them, now this is important, tell them everything the Lord has done for you. And I hope you're doing that tonight. I hope you're telling people everything the Lord has done for you. But this is the part of this verse that stands out to me. And how merciful he has been. Now, I've been around the block a few times, as have a lot of my colleagues. But you need to understand something. I've seen people become so dramatic when they're trying to deal with demonic spirits or they're trying to deal with people that they think are demonized and they they scream they holler maybe you get uh, some people I, I met someone one time they're supposed to be a professional exorcist and you know they have candles and they go into a dark room they've got a special book it's not about drama it's not about how loud you get it's not about a special dark room and incense and candles it's about the mercy of God there was no drama there was no sensationalism. Jesus spoke to those devils, commanded them to come out of the man. It was mercy that changed his life. It was mercy that changed my life. It was mercy that changed your life. And it's God's mercy that will change your life tonight if you will allow him. So tell him how merciful he has been. And look at what happened. So the man started to visit the ten towns, that's the Decapolis, of that region, remember that Gentile region that the half-tribes of Reuben and Manasseh and Gad that had just given up, they began to, this man began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. He was the first missionary evangelist. Now, at this point, he doesn't know everything, but the way has been prepared because of this man's testimony, the way has been prepared for after the day of Pentecost, the church is going to spread to Syria, it's going to spread to Jordan, it's going to spread all the way to India, all the way to Rome, all the way to Great Britain, and eventually across the seas and throughout Africa. This man became one who took the mercy of God and the command of God seriously. He was restored to his family. Your family always comes first before your ministry. And then he began to go through the Decapolis and share. Let's look at this growth work, some things I want, to, want you to remember this evening. Number one, never, under, never underestimate evil. You know, I tell young people all the time, 
don't get tricked into going to a fortune teller. Don't get tricked into playing games like a Ouija board and stuff like this. Don't get fascinated with the evil and get caught up in occultic practices. You don't know what you're going to open your lives up to. A friend of mine named Dick, we were both speaking in, a, in another state and um, at the same uh, event, and we were both speakers there. <clears throat> and he and I went to lunch together, and then we just decided to walk in the downtown area. And we went into this, this Native American store because we wanted to kind of see what the Native Americans, you know, were marketing, what their tribe was like in that part of the country. And in the back of that store, there was a lady that was practicing fortune telling and all this kind of stuff. So Dick and I just began to walk around the store on separate parts of the store and we just begin to pray, and we just ask Jesus to come and, and let his presence be felt and manifested. We ask Jesus if there was anything that evil that was taking place there. All of a sudden, that lady looked up. She stood up, and she looked around. She looked at me, and she looked over and saw my friend, and she said, I don't know what's going on here, but the spirit's confused. I can't do this any longer. And she packed up her stuff and walked out of the store. Now, friends, I really do believe that God answered his prayer and my prayer. And I'm telling you, don't underestimate the power of the devil. But at the same time, remember, God is in control. Hallelujah. God is in control. And you see, you scatter demons when you share what God has done for you. When you share how God's mercy has come into your life, when you share God's faithfulness to you, you scatter demons. When you give a gift in the name of Jesus, if you take a gift to your colleague or your lost friends and just say, you know, I just want you to know you matter, and you give them a gift, you begin to somehow or another build a path into their lives. When we tithe and we bring our offerings, just like I ask you to give to missions tonight, especially, and that when we tithe and bring our offerings, if you give an offering tonight to World Missions, and, or you give it to, uh, and you specify it for Convoy of Hope for what we're doing in Turkey and Syria, or if you specify it for Jonathan that we're sending to Estonia to, to be a missionary, or any of the other mission works we do, you're scattering demonic powers because your missions gifts and your tithes and offerings are taking the gospel to places that... The, the gospel has never been preached before. One particular country that we're supporting a missionary in, he works in that nation. It's against the law for him to go out and, 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 and witness to people. But his life has become so attractive. This is legal. People come to his house and they're coming to know Jesus Christ. He and his wife, they're ministering to them. I'm telling you, you scatter the powers of hell. When you speak a word in faith or when you extend a helping hand to somebody, when you use your spiritual gift, whether it's mercy or hospitality, whether it's prayer for miracles, whatever your spiritual gift is, you're scattering demonic powers. And you need to remember this. Jesus drives the demons out. Not us, but the Spirit of the Lord in us drives the demons out. And so finally, I just say, be a witness tonight. Be a witness wherever you go. Share your testimony. Share your time. Share your talent. Share your treasure. Let God work through you. Now, there's a big difference, and I want, I want you to hear this as I close and get ready to pray. There's a spiritual gift of evangelism. I don't have that gift. I, it's one of those gifts I pray for the Lord to spiritual gifts to give me. There have been times when I felt like He's manifested that gift in my life for a certain season, um, I know what my spiritual giftings are, but all of us are called to be witnesses for Christ. 
The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit, Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. And how do you witness? By the way you live your life, by the way you treat people, by the word of your testimony when you have that occasion or opportunity to share the love of Christ with someone, when you give, when you invite people to come to church or invite them to your small group at home, all of these ways are ways that we are a witness. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to go knocking cold on doors. I'm not criticizing that. You know, there, there are people who do that and seem to have some success at it. But they typically have what I call the gift of evangelism. But what we can all do is be a witness. And when those disciples came away from that experience and they go to the next power encounter that we're going to look at next Wednesday night, and I can't wait to do that with you as well, when they see the next power encounter, what they're learning is that Christ in them is really greater than he that's within the world and all the manifestation of evil that has taken place in this world. Well, God bless you. I love you so much. Again, if you have some questions or something about this particular text, don't hesitate to email me. I will be glad to try and answer them. Let me have a word of prayer with you before we go tonight. Father, thank you. Thank you for the story of this man. Thank you for the life of this man. God, as I ponder back and just sometimes try to go back in time in my mind and see a man be so completely delivered, so completely set free that his entire community had given up on. But you made a trip from Caesarea all the way to Gadara to set him free and to restore him to his family and in mercy and love to send him to 10 cities to share the good news of Christ. God, I thank you. What joy he must have known, what power he must have experienced, what wonderful things he must have saw as he obeyed you. And I pray this evening that each of us will have our own power encounter with you and that, Father, we will remember that greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. I love you, Jesus, for it's in your name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Good night. Thanks for being with us this evening.